Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to this worship service. A special welcome to any visitors who have joined us this morning. Our prayer is that God will accept our praise and our worship, that we will be strengthened and edified by the proclamation of the gospel. This morning we may also witness the sacrament of baptism, that we may all be reminded also of our washing away of the sins through Jesus Christ. Sistry has the following announcements. You are reminded that the wedding of Sister Casey Klein and Brother Callum Decker will take place this Friday at 12.30pm in Free Reform Church of Mundajong. Classes North will be convened, the Lord willing, by the Free Reform Church of Mount Nashura on Friday the 28th of October. Since preparing nominations for offers, two brothers have requested to immediately be relieved of their nomination. Having considered their reasons, Consistory has agreed to their requests. Consistory with Deacons will meet tomorrow at 8pm to complete the list of nominated brothers. This morning we welcome Reverend Pott from our sister church from Bunbury to the pulpit. Before we commence the worship service this morning, let's sing together Psalm 29, verse 1. rise and let us worship the Lord our maker. We confess our dependence on the Lord with the words of Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Congregation received God's greeting with the words of 1 Corinthians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together from Psalm 27, the text that we're focusing on this morning from Romans 8, reminds us of the comfort of the Lord's presence and that we're never separated from his love for us in Christ. In Psalm 27, we express our confidence that we need never fear because the Lord always comes to our aid. We'll sing verses 1 and 2.
The Lord our God, whom we worship, also speaks to us in his word, and in his word he gives us his commands to teach us how we should live, and particularly in light of the grace that he's shown us in Christ, how we should show our thankfulness to him. We'll listen to God's commandments as we find them in Exodus 20. Here the Lord addresses us with these words, first saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. In the New Testament, in his letter to the Romans, in connection with our ability to obey God's law, the apostle writes that none is righteous, not even one, but that God gives us salvation simply by faith in Christ, He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so our obedience to the law is a matter of thankfulness to God for this great redemption and something we do enabled by his Holy Spirit Let us sing about our continued confidence of God's presence and nearness also as we serve him and seek to obey his law. We'll sing from Psalm 23 verses 1 and 2.
Brother and sister Gera have requested administration of baptism for their newborn son, Andrew. And so I'll proceed to the administration of baptism using the form adopted for that purpose. In your book of praise, you'll find that beginning on page 597. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, Baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus, we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him, and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. For baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not, therefore, exclude them from baptism, just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam. So are they, without their knowledge, received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. This circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. 
in the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to his glory for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name. I'll lead you in prayer. Almighty, eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punish the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, but in your great mercy, saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this, your child, and incorporate Andrew by your Holy Spirit into your son, Jesus Christ, so that Andrew may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that he, following him day by day, may joyfully bear his cross and cleave, cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that he, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Will the parents please rise? Beloved in Christ the Lord, you've heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ and thus as members of his church, to be baptized. Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Third, do you promise as father and as mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as he is able to understand and to have him instructed there into the utmost of your power. Brother Jera, what is your answer? And Sister Jera, what is your answer? After the administration of baptism, we'll sing from hymn 56, the verses 1 and 2. This is a prayer to the good shepherd of the flock, praying that he will keep his sheep.
Andrew, Darian, Jera, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Unite in prayer of thanksgiving to God and also pray for the blessing over the reading and proclamation of His Word. I'll lead you in prayer. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son, and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved son that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that Andrew may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that he thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy which you have shown to him and to us all. May he live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king, and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May he forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. Equip his parents with wisdom and health and give them joy in the tasks that you have given them. Bless all of us as we now approach your word. Heavenly Father, we want to hear your voice reminding us of who you are and what you have done for us. We want to be reminded of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ and the riches that are for those who believe in him. And so we pray that you would bless us in this time as we are together as your people, that we may be encouraged and built up by the message of salvation. You know the hearts of each of us assembled here. You know our circumstances. You know our lives. And we pray that your word would speak to us and reach us in our individual needs 
that you would direct our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings that are found in him only. And so work by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help your servant in bringing your word, that behind him your people may see the Good Shepherd who uses fragile earthen vessels to bring the gospel that points to a powerful and loving Savior. Bless preachers around the world this day as they bring the gospel. And we pray that you would use this to gather your kingdom, to build your people up in their faith and to encourage us in Christ, and above all, that you would be glorified. Heavenly Father, may you be magnified also in our worship this day. We humbly pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us take our Bibles and we'll turn to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8. And we'll be giving attention this morning, especially to the final part of this chapter, especially the last few verses. But before we read the second half of the chapter, let's begin by reading the very first verse of this chapter, Romans 8, verse 1, where the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, tells us the following, Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we'll pick up our reading with verse 18. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. 
and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord so far our reading from scripture let us now in response sing and in preparation for the proclamation of God's word sing from Psalm 42 verse 5 a psalm where we also express our confidence that the Lord will be evermore near me As our text this morning, we'll be giving attention to the last part of Romans 8. We'll be looking at aspects from verses 31 to the very end, but focusing especially on the last two verses, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
after the sermon in response to the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing from a hymn that's, that's based on this passage, hymn 35, verse 1. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you familiar with something that is called separation anxiety? Separation anxiety is occasionally experienced by young children and that if they're separated from their parents, that they experience a sense of intense distress and anguish and fear, even terror. And so, as a result, mum dropping Junior off for the first few days of school uh, can be a great ordeal. Junior gen uh, desperately wants to, to hang on to mum, not let go of her hand and clutching at her clothing. And this can also become evident when going shopping with dad or mum. There can be a fear of, of having dad or mum let go and being on their own. Separation. Anxiety. And separation anxiety can also be experienced by adults. For example, let's say you, you move to a new place. You don't know anyone. That can be a frightening thing to experience. Or perhaps there's somebody very dear to you, someone very close, someone you love very much, who moves away. Or perhaps the Lord determines that this earthly task of this loved one is done, and as a result now you must continue your life alone without them. That can be hard. And there's also a sense of separation, anxiety that can be part of that. Now closely linked to this is the idea of general anxiety. And I don't mean it in a, in a, in a medical way, a clinical sense. But more in the sense of being emotionally overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. And it could be that your fear of faced with serious health concerns or maybe worries about your family and your children, financial hardship, the kinds of things that we've experienced even over the last couple of years with COVID, or just by browsing social media and you get overwhelmed by the stuff going on in the world. And all of this can lead to this sense of being overwhelmed and anxious and even a little terrified. Have you ever considered the possibility that you could be experiencing a case of what I would call spiritual separation anxiety? And that it, it can be linked to the fact that you feel that you're, you're on your own. And that can happen even if you're surrounded with people, even if right now you're here in church and surrounded by people, even people who may know you that you can feel overwhelmed and all on your own. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord knows that. 
The Lord knows what's in your heart and in your mind. And in his love for us, he doesn't want his people experiencing spiritual separation anxiety. Our God is so gracious that he wants us to be fully assured that when, when we love him and when we know him because we confess the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, and when we belong to him in body and soul and life and death because of our Savior, he wants us to be fully assured that he is with us. That's why this morning he gave sacraments, baptism for Andrew, as a reminder for him and his parents about the promise of God throughout his life. It's why the Lord gives us his word this morning from Romans 8. To remind us that for believers, we are never separated from God's love in Christ. Children, if you're asked after the sermon what this was about, the sermon was about, you can honestly say, the sermon this morning was about nothing. But if dad or mum asks you what's meant by that, you're going to have to say more. Because it's a sermon about the nothing that can separate us from God's love in Christ. And that's the comfort that God gives us in Romans 8 this morning. I proclaim it to you with this theme. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. And we'll consider two things. Firstly, this means nothing. And secondly, this means everything. So firstly, this means nothing. Now, Romans 8 is a much beloved chapter, perhaps even a favorite for many of you. It's a beloved chapter for good reason. Because there are dazzling jewels to be found here. An incredible wealth of comfort for anyone who confesses and belongs to the Lord Jesus. Some have compared this chapter to a staircase. And the further you get, the higher you get. And they say when you're at the top, it's like being on the last rung near the end of the chapter and you're looking down. Now that is impressive, but I think it's even more impressive if we compare it to a mountain. And if we are going to compare it to a mountain, then the most impressive mountain we could compare it to is the highest one of them all, which is Mount Everest. And that's why I'd like to refer to this passage as the Mount Everest of Romans. Now let's just picture what it would be like if we were to climb Mount Everest. You don't just show up at the bottom of a mountain by taking a flight in, zoom up and cruise to the top, and the next day, come down and fly home. It's not that easy. In fact, if we were to go on a mission to Mount Everest, then typically we could expect that to take around 40 days. Because first, you need to get to the base camp, which is in Nepal. And this base camp is already over 5,000 meters above sea level. 
and it's going to take about a week just to get there. And then when you're at base camp, 5,000 meters above sea level, it's going to take you a while to, to get used to the higher altitude. And here you will make your final preparations and you'll make a, what's called acclimatization climbs to various camps. And each of them will be a little higher. And each time you're going to be breathing with less oxygen. So base camp, 5,000 meters. Camp one, 6,000 meters high. Camp two, 6,500 meters high. Camp three, 7,500 meters high. Camp four, 8,000 meters high. And you're going to stay overnight at each of these camps, acclimatizing. But now you're at camp four, and you're gonna have maybe a day or two here, and you're gonna wait till the time's right to make your summit attempt. That's another 1,000 meters higher. And you're gonna leave at midnight, because it's gonna take more than 10 hours to reach the summit, and you need to get back to camp four before it gets dark. Now, fortunately, on the way to the summit, there's a few spots you can rest. There's a small platform called the Balcony at 8,400 meters. A bit higher up, just before the summit, there's something called the Hillary Step, named after Sir Edmund Hillary, known for being one of the first mountaineers to climb Mount Everest. That's at 8,800 meters. And then... Following the Hillary Step, there's just the final stretch, the last 48 meters, 8,848 meters. Here, you're at the top of the world. And those who've been there on a clear day in good weather say the views are breathtaking. Well, I pictured that in detail because, brothers and sisters, that's what it's like to get to the end of Romans 8. It's like reaching that pinnacle, the summit. The first few chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul is starting us off in base camp. And what he does here is he sets forth the rich doctrine of justification by faith alone. And in those chapters he explains no one's righteous. No one can be accepted by God because of how good a job he tries to do in keeping the commandments. No one will ever be good enough. There's only one way that you can be accepted by God and that is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, his sacrifice, his work which was pictured in Andrew's baptism by believing and trusting in that message. And when you do, God accepts you now and forever. It's that simple, and yet it's that essential. And by faith in Christ, you become objects of his love forever. And that's, that's astounding, that's thrilling, that already takes your breath away. And so... We need to spend some time first in base camp just getting used to that 
thinner air and, and the excitement of that view. We need to catch our breath. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop after Romans 1, 2, and 3, and 4, in which he explains this doctrine. Now he keeps taking us up the mountain. He's our tour guide. And he keeps bringing us higher and higher, walking us through these mountains of grace, showing us spectacular views, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. Now, we're at Camp 4. Start of chapter 8. We are ready to head for the summit. And you could say that verses 31 to 39 are that last stretch of 48 meters. I like to call verse 31 the Hillary step. Because from here, the apostle is going to take us to the very top and he's going to look back at all those doctrines of grace that he's taught and explained. And from this position, we get the most magnificent view. And the main point is this. The child of God, child of God, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are chosen by God in eternity, when you belong to him, nothing can separate you from his love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. And so to emphasize this, as we get to the summit on that last stretch from the Hillary step of verse 31, from verse 31 to 39, the apostle asks what some have called five unanswerable questions. Now, they're unanswerable questions because there's no answer. They're, they're rhetorical questions. And rhetorical questions means there's, you don't expect an answer because the answer is obvious. You're just asking it in question form, not because you don't know the answer, but you're using this as a way of making a dramatic point. After all, when you're near the top of a mountain, everything gets dramatic. And so here come those five unanswerable questions. Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, will God with his son not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Five unanswerable questions. It's like going up the last five steps to the summit. Each point, you're at a slightly higher position. The view is slightly even more impressive. And as you climb these steps to the top of the mountain, you are just speechless with amazement because there's nothing to say. It's that spectacular. Now, verse 35 is the last of those five questions. And with that 
final question. We're right near the very top. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? From here, there's no higher that you can go. And from this dizzying height, here at the very end of Romans 8, we see the beauty of the gospel of salvation that those who believe in Christ and who are part of God's people enjoy. We see clearly the things that, let's be honest, in daily life we often forget. Because in daily life we're busy with stuff, we're busy with work, we're busy with our family. We're busy worrying about this, we're busy worrying about our car breakdown, we're busy worrying about how we're going to solve this problem or that problem. Our, our head gets filled with the stuff we're seeing in world events and social media and we're so busy with that, we get overwhelmed with that, that we forget to see the view. And we start suffering from spiritual separation anxiety. It happens, right? It happens to all of us in greater or lesser ways at different times. Well, for a moment, brothers and sisters, we see here the love of God with the word of God and what he is doing. Here, he brings us to a place where we have those clouds just move away for a moment, where our head is thinking clearly and we're seeing clearly and we see things as they really are when we believe in the Lord Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. And the apostle really wants us to be assured that he really does mean nothing. And that's why he's going to give a whole list of the kinds of things that you might think would separate you from God's love in Christ. Remember who's writing this? He's led by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. But it's also a person who is very human and has experienced real difficulties. The Apostle Paul's not some armchair theologian just speculating about things, giving his opinion. He's led by the Spirit. And he is a man who has gone through very dark and deep personal valleys of hardship. And he can speak from personal experience about the kinds of difficulties a Christian can face. 2 Corinthians 1, this is what he says. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength. We even despaired of life. Have you ever felt that way? It can happen. It can happen that a true believer just feels broken. That they even get to the point where they can't cope. In our weakness, we feel crushed. The Apostle Paul had been there. In 2 Corinthians 11, he lists all kinds of examples of the things that he has personally experienced. He mentions he was in prison many times. He faced death many times. He received 39 lashes, physical punishment from the Jews. Not once, not twice, five times this happened. He was beaten with rods, physical abuse, three times. He had stones thrown at him. He was shipwrecked, not once, three times. 
He faced robbers. He faced false teachers. He was tired. He was sleepless. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was cold. He was naked. Most of his letters are written from prison. And so when in verse 36 he mentions, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is an Old Testament passage referring to the, the physical distress, the persecution Christians can face. He'd experienced it. And so if anyone would be able to make a legitimate case for experiencing spiritual separation, anxiety, for feeling alone, for feeling God has deserted you, it would be the Apostle Paul. What's more, as he's taking us on this trip to the summit, it's, it's not that he just forgets those things, not that he pretends they don't exist, in fact, he's even made references to them. Chapter 7, he mentions this inner war that he has, where he finds himself doing the things that he doesn't want to do and not doing the things that he does want to do. This inner war against sin. Here in chapter 8, he mentions the sufferings of the present time. He mentions groaning. He mentions our weaknesses. These are all real, and they're real for us as well. And so that means that when the Apostle Paul says from this mountaintop of confidence that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ, this is not just words, it's not just platitudes, this is real, this is true. The Apostle has lived them, the Apostle has examined them, and he knows that they cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. And so in verse 35, he lists a long list of adversities that he can think of that might prove the point. What about tribulation? Can that separate us from the love of Christ? What about a real painful trial? Great hardship? No, says Paul. What about distress? What about when you're experiencing that inward anguish, that emotional turmoil? No. What about persecution? What about if your life gets difficult because you're, you confess Christ and you face opposition? No. What about famine? What about if you, you face food shortages and you're hungry? No. What about nakedness? What about if you're deprived of everything you need, even your clothing? You've got nothing left? No. What about danger? What about situations of great peril? No. What about sword? Yes, what even if you face violence because you're a Christian, as some do in parts of the world? No. In all these situations, one thing remains true. The Lord is always present with his people in his love. And the apostle has been there. He can say firsthand, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Now at this point, 
you might think this is a good place. We're at the summit. We've seen the view. Now we can head back down. But here we see the love of the Lord that he knows that we're weak. We need more assurance. So the apostle says, see this view. But he doesn't stop. He says, now turn around and see the view again from the other side. Because to emphasize it even more strongly, he's just given us a list of seven adversities in verse 35. Now in verses 38 and 39, he's going to give a further list, an additional list of ten things. So even more things that we might think could put up a barrier between us and Christ's love and make us feel separated. Now I want you to notice that this list has been crafted with divine wisdom. In verses 38 and 39, the things Paul mentions, for the most part, are arranged as pairs of opposites. Life and death. Height and depth, things present, things to come. That's deliberate. It shows that the apostle wants to cover the, the full spectrum of possibilities. Neither death nor life. So what about death? What about if you see yourself getting old or you're seriously ill or you're diagnosed with a serious disease, you have to face your own mortality. What about them? Or what about if it's a loved one, someone dear to you? What about their death? If they're taken away, what about them? Can that take you away from the love of God in Christ? No. What about life with everything it might include, all the calamities and difficulties and challenges and stresses and distractions? No. What about angels or rulers? And a bit further, it mentions powers. Uh, so here we have the superhuman agencies. Spiritual forces of evil like the fallen angels, Satan and his demons. And all the threats that might face us spiritually and tempt us and trying to draw us away from Christ. No. What about things present or things to come? Here we have the dimensions of time. The difficulties that we may face in our life now and the difficulties about what tomorrow might bring and next week and next year and the unexpected and the future. None of that either. Neither height nor depth. So here we have the dimensions of, of space. The dangers that might assault us, whether it's from the depths below or from above, whether it's the far reaches of outer space or the depths of hell, you name it, whatever it is, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And that's why the apostle ends with that comprehensive phrase, nor anything else in all creation. This makes it Absolutely definitive. And this is the nothing that the sermon is about. Nothing in all creation can separate God's people from his love in the Lord Jesus. There will be no sudden plot twist. 
where for someone who has truly believed and confessed the Lord Jesus Christ by the working of the Spirit, where for that person suddenly it turns out badly. And that suddenly they discover that God has completely left them and they lose their faith and they lose their salvation and they find themselves eternally separated by God. That cannot happen. Child of God, says the apostle here, with divine authority, I am sure, verse 38, I am confident from the mountaintop, from the Mount Everest of Romans, if we line up the full array of things that might assault us and discourage us, if we line up the dimensions of time and space, dangers, spiritual and physical, none of these can separate us from God's love in Christ. None of them can frustrate his plan, his purpose for his chosen ones. This nothing really means nothing. And that's why for the believer, this means everything. And that is our second point. It means everything because this means the world to us. This is precious. This is something we can hold on to and go back to. And we need to hold on to it and go back to it. In the past week, I had to make a pastoral visit in a difficult circumstances. You think, what passage should I read? Should I, should I read Romans 8? Well, it's maybe too familiar. Then I thought, no. That doesn't matter. This is a passage that shows us the view. It is the kind of passage we, we can go back to time and again to remind us of God's promises. It is the kind of passage that reaffirms us in our confidence. And you see it there in verse 37, the confidence. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Conquerors. That means those who overcome. See, God doesn't promise that your life as a Christian is going to be spared of trouble and suffering and distress and emotional pain and anguish and even being feeling like a wreck. God doesn't promise that. What God promises is that he will be with his people in that, even in our weakest moment. He promises that he will bring us through it, even in those moments we don't feel him or see him. He's there, and we're conquerors because we will be brought through it. Now in Greek, the, the words used here, more than conquerors, in Greek, the original language, it's actually one word. It's the word conquerors with the phrase hyper in front of it. So in other words, the point is we were not just conquerors. Remember, this is a mountaintop. This is dramatic. And so the apostle is saying we are hyper-conquerors. We will make it through the darkest of times. And it's this knowledge of being hyper-conquerors that gives the apostle a hyper-assurance. 
And that assurance is evident from the words that he uses, not just the fact that he he goes over this and keeps pointing us to the view, but look at verse 38. For I am sure. This is hyperconfidence. This is a word that expresses confidence, certainty, surety. I'm absolutely sure. I'm persuaded. There's some other translations of it. None of these things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a statement of faith. Well, brothers and sisters, where do you get this confidence? Some of you may be able to look back at trials and dark valleys, and you'll be able to say, you know what, it is true. The Lord brought me through that. There were moments I didn't see him, but he was there. He carried me. Others of you may be in the valley right now and you don't see it. And you're saying, I wish I had this confidence. How? Especially if you're faced with great trials and great hardships and setbacks and disappointments and you get bruised and you get battered over and over again. How can you get to this point of confidence? Well, it's by focusing your attention on one thing. And it's by focusing your attention on the one thing that is central also to Andrew's baptism this morning. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The clue to this confidence is found in verse 31. The Hillary step. Look at the words of verse 31. What then shall we say to these things. So before he makes these grand statements from the top of the mountain, the Apostle Paul it says, remember these things, the, the territory we have been covering until now. See, the view on the mountain top is not going to look very great if you are looking at the wrong Suppose somebody's at the top of the mountain. They've climbed Mount Everest and then they're staring at their feet and they're looking at the ground and they say, you know what? There's not much of a view here at all. Well, no wonder you're looking at the wrong thing. Could you be suffering from spiritual separation anxiety Because you are looking at the wrong thing. Because you've got eyes only for the troubles and the distresses and the distractions. You're letting yourself get overwhelmed by stuff going on in your life and the lives of the world. You're constantly scrolling and being busy with that. But are you getting messages also about God's promises? Is there a voice in your life through the word of God and through the things that are speaking into your life that are reminding you of this. What shall we say to these things? This letter, letter to the apostle from the apostle to the church in Rome, it's it's a summary of the gospel. And in the church of Bunbury, towards the end of last year, we, we had a series of sermons going through this letter. And 
when we get to chapter 8 here, we need to remind ourselves of, of the territory we've traveled to get here. So even though we can, we can read this passage and we can rejoice in it, we also need to remember what we learned from chapter 1 and 2, that no one is righteous. Even if you're a Christian, God is not going to accept you because you go to church and you pray and you try to be loving to other people. You are never going to be able to do enough to be accepted by God. There's only one way to be righteous, and that is through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who suffered, who lived the perfect life, and his perfection is announced in the word of God. His righteousness is proclaimed in the gospel. And when you believe that, when you accept that by faith, work by the Spirit, then God accepts you. There's no condemnation for you. And from there, the apostle keeps building on these riches. Chapter 4, he shows how this was the case in Abram's life. He, even in the Old Testament, was saved by faith, not by works. Chapter 6, he explains that this means you've got a new master. Jesus is your master. And, and so his Holy Spirit's going to help you to fight sin. You're, you're not alone in the battle against sin. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. Chapter 7, it will be a struggle sometimes, but... Rejoice in Christ. Your salvation is sure in him. Chapter 8, the first part of the chapter, the apostle keeps speaking about the spirit who, who helps us in our weakness. He points to Jesus who is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what we need to keep focusing on and, and that's why it's mentioned also here in this chapter. Verse 3 what the law couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for a sin. God sent Jesus, says verse 3. Verse 32, the apostle again refers to Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's in the Lord Jesus that we experience these blessings. We are sinners. In fact, we even confess that. His parents confess that. Andrew's parents confessed that even he, he's not in himself better. Even though he's born in a believing family. No, he's subject to condemnation. It's true of all of us. But, but God is gracious. And when we, by sin, separate ourselves from God, when we deserve to be cast out forever and we deserve hell... When we can never reach him, when we forfeit any right to be connected to him, he reaches us. He comes to us. And Paul uses this kind of language throughout his letter. When we were enemies, when we were ungodly, when we were hostile, God showed his love in Jesus Christ. And that's what the blood of Christ is about. On the cross, Jesus was separated from God. That's what his suffering and agony was really about. It wasn't just the, the physical agony of being on a cross, as terrible as that was. No, the real agony was having the Father forsaken. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. In those words, 
You see the opposite of Romans 8. Jesus is separated from the Father. He gets what I deserve, what you deserve. And because of him we are saved. And that's why this basic fundamental truth, it's repeated in the Bible over and over again. That through Christ, God is with his people. It's a recurring theme. The book of Genesis to Isaac, when Isaac's facing quarrels with herdsmen in this foreign land. The Lord says, do not fear, I am with you. To Joshua, as, as Moses, that longtime leader, he, his task is done. Now Joshua has this massive mission. He's got to go into the promised land and fight all these enemies. And as he faces this enormous task, the Lord says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. To Israel in Isaiah chapter 41, as, as they're facing uh, the possibilities of war and opposition, the Lord says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. To the disciples as they face this enormous job of, of going out into the world and preaching the gospel to people who will sometimes be hostile to it. The Lord gives the promise, lo, I will be with you always. And to Paul as he's doing mission work in Corinth and he faces fierce opposition. The Lord comes to him and says, do not be afraid, I am with you. That's the recurring message through Christ, that the Lord comes to with his people. I am with you. And that's how the Bible even ends. When Jesus returns, this is the ultimate fulfillment of it all. The Bible says in Revelation 21, God himself will be with them. And that's why Paul can say this. That's why David can say, and we could sing from Psalm 23 about being in the valley. And David said, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. This is the answer to spiritual separation anxiety, brothers and sisters. It's by looking to the Lord Jesus. It's by immersing yourself in that message about him. That blood of Christ, that and that alone, guarantees that when we have been bought by him, he will bring us to the end. Because this is not, first of all, about our faithfulness and our spiritual strength. No, our faith's often weak. By nature, we're not good at holding on to him. His faithfulness is always strong. And he is good at holding on to us. And that's why our Savior himself even gave this promise in John chapter 10. Where he speaks about laying down his life for the sheep. And he says this. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Our 
hyperconfidence that nothing can separate us from Christ's love is because of the hyper power of Jesus. Verse 34 reminds us that he has conquered the darkest dangers of hell. He rules all creation. He right now is at the right hand of God. And he right now intercedes for us. And he will return and he will protect us and he will give full glory to those who believe in him and confess him. God's love in Christ means that God establishes an unbreakable bond. And so even in our greatest trials, we we can't be separated from his love. And that's why this doctrine means everything to us. Brothers and sisters, do you see something here of the love of God for you that in his word he, he takes you on this tour so that today in this worship service you get to see the view? Or maybe if you're not as familiar with the Bible and you're still learning about the Bible that God has put you in church today to remind you that this is the only view that will give you hope and confidence and joy. And apart from faith in Christ, life will only lead to anxiety and ultimately distress. But in Christ, look at what God promises. God has brought you here today to remind you of it. That's why God gives us his word. And the Lord is so patient with us. He knows that even though it's in his word, we we still struggle, we we doubt, we we need visible signs. And so he gives us signs. He gives us the Lord's Supper, which again points to Christ's work. He gives us Andrew's baptism, which again points us to Christ's work and, and we get a visible picture of God's promise. A promise which Andrew will learn about from his parents as he gets older. A promise that Andrew's called to believe. A promise that God also reminds us of through Andrew's baptism. And this is why God also gives you office bearers. It's why God gives you a minister to preach this message. It's why God gives you elders to visit you and deacons to visit you to remind you of that message. Office bearers are like those who come alongside us with God-given authority. And they come alongside us, they hold us by their hand as we're struggling, as we're overwhelmed and struggling through the clouds. And they say, brother and sister, let me show you the view again. That's your job, office bearers. Pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pointing us to to that reality, to him. And here as church community, we we also help each other in that. We, We see others struggling in difficulties, being overwhelmed. We know that would be us if not for the grace of God. And so we do the same. We point them to the view. We point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a communion of saints where together we remind one another of him and and we also show each other something of his love when we're reaching out to each other. Really, through us, it's the Lord Jesus Christ showing that we're not on our own, showing that even in our hard times, we are not separated from him. So if you're going through hard times, don't try to do it alone. 
Don't say to the office bearers, no, no, I don't need visits. Don't say to other members trying to show love to you, no, no, I don't need you. It's the love of Christ. He is showing you that he's with you. Brothers and sisters, are you feeling some spiritual separation anxiety? The hardships are still real. Oh, very real. And the tears can be real. And the loneliness can be real. And maybe right now some of you do feel overwhelmed by anxiety about the future, things going on in your family, in your life. But, real as it is, today, through the word of God, this is not about me preaching. It's about your saviour. He, today, takes you by the hand. He brings you to the top of the mountain. He shows you the view again. He reminds you of his love. He calls you to believe in him, to trust in him. He says that nothing can separate you from his love. You, my child, as a statement of faith, you belong to me. Nothing can separate you. You belong to me in life and in death, body and soul. And so even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, feel the hand of your heavenly Father through his word holding on to you. And he will bring you through. And he will bring you to life everlasting. And when you trip, when you fall, when you're ready to lose your grip, he will hang on. Nothing, really nothing can shake you loose. I am sure. We say with the Apostle Paul as believers, I am sure nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This really means nothing, and that's why it means everything. Amen. That's now in response, sing from the hymn that's based on this passage, hymn 35, verse 1.
As we unite in prayer together, we'll also remember a number of pastoral matters in the lives of members in the congregation, and that includes the fact that Brother Griffian, uh, currently overseas in the Netherlands, uh, recently developed pneumonia, and that has since progressed to an embolism. It's uh, a blood clot settling in his lungs, so he needs to be hospitalized for some days. We'll also remember Sister Michelle Vanderheide, who successfully underwent surgery in the past week. We can give thanks that brother and sister Ortonell and Samantha Gakona were married on Friday, and we also pray for the Lord's blessing of the upcoming wedding of Brother Callan Decker and Sister Casey Klein. Let us call on God's name in prayer. Our Heavenly God and Father, we come before you, O Lord, and we acknowledge our weakness, our unworthiness even to be your people. Lord, it's not that there's anything in us that we could ever accomplish on our own. And so we are so thankful, Lord, for your grace to sin us in Christ. And we humbly give you great thanks and abundant praise for the privilege and the joy of knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ. And for the marvelous ways that you do care for us and that you sustain us. Lord, in so many ways you have shown your favor throughout our lives. And you continue to show your goodness in the present. And we also thank you for the rich promises for the future. Lord, we thank you for the way that you preserve us and uphold us as we travel to the new Jerusalem. There are times, Father, we, we can be wayward and you bring us back. There are times we cannot carry on where we feel broken and distressed, and yet, Lord, you do not give up on us. And so we thank you for the, the hope, the comfort, the encouragement that you give us. And we pray, Father, that you would especially be with us in those times where we do feel overwhelmed, where we don't see it, where we don't feel it, we don't experience it. Help us to live by faith and speak into our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit that where there is darkness, that the light of hope may shine forth through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we're still growing in our knowledge of him or coming to know him, we pray that you would cause that light to have an effect in our lives and where there is darkness, that light may instead shine. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you do give us as we live our lives for the blessings of health, for the blessings of family, for the blessings of congregation, the blessings of employment, the blessings of the material gifts you give. And so, Lord, we also give you thanks for relationships. We thank you that brother and sister Ortonell and Samantha Gakona could be united in marriage this past week. And we pray, Father, that you would bless them with joy in their marriage and that you would make them a blessing to one another be with them also as they settle into a new congregation in Byford. And we pray, make them a blessing to the congregation there too. We pray also for your blessing over the upcoming wedding of Brother Callan Decker and Sister Casey Klein. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've led and directed their lives and that they and their loved ones can look forward to emerging of their paths as husband and wife the coming Friday. Give them and their loved ones a joyous day. May you be honored and we pray for your blessing not only over their wedding and its celebrations but over their married life. Lord, we also thank you for medical care 
and the blessings of technology and the possibilities of surgery. We thank you that Sister Michelle Vanderheide could successfully undergo an operation this past week and return home again, give her recovery, and continue to make her a blessing in her family. Lord, we also lay before you the needs of Brother Griffian, who you heard has developed pneumonia and now has even more serious health concerns as a result of an embolism and needs to be hospitalized. We pray for your blessing of a treatment and care that he receives. Give encouragement to him and his loved ones. And we pray if it pleases you, grant healing that in due time he may also be able to return back home again. Lord, there are also many individual needs that we have not mentioned by name, but we also lay those before you. Give health and strength wherever it is needed. And where we feel weak, give spiritual strength and encouragement. Give us comfort, Father, also when we face spiritual distress. Be with us in our concerns about our loved ones, especially those who are wayward. We pray bring them back to you as well. Lord, in all our circumstances, in prosperity as well as adversity, help us never to lose sight of your goodness. Bless the communion of saints here. And grant, Father, that through the love of brothers and sisters, we may also experience your love. Bless the spiritual leaders that you've set over us. But also through the work of Reverend Poppy and the work of Brother Plater and the work of elders and of deacons, that your people may be pointed to the gospel of Christ. Heavenly Father, we also pray for the civil authorities that you've set over us, both in this country, but we particularly pray for the royal family that now following the funeral of their mother and great-grandmother and great-grandmother, that they would look to you for comfort. Above all, Father, help them to acknowledge you, to walk in your ways. And so we pray also for King Charles as he prepares to take up his role. And we pray, Lord, that also in this family, that there may be an acknowledgement of you and service to you. Bless us now this day in all that we do, that we may rejoice in your goodness to us and that you may receive all the praise. Heavenly Father, we humbly ask all these things in the name of our Savior, who even now intercedes for us at your right hand. In Christ we pray. Amen. We now have the opportunity to give our thank offerings, which are for supporting the spread of the gospel and the work of mission in Papua New Guinea. After we've had the opportunity to give our financial gifts of gratitude to God, we'll continue singing from hymn 35, that hymn based on Romans 8, hymn 35, the verses 2, 3, and 4.
receive the Lord the blessing of the Lord our God with the words of 2 Corinthians 13 and depart in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.